0: But episode 29 of the Midwest Football Podcast is going to be so much fun, it's scary. That being said, we aren't dramatically changing up the format. We're still bringing you insightful analysis of the NFL's upper Midwestern teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, your co-host, a Michigan native who's still here in the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan, and I will stand here and defend candy corn on the air if I have to from all the trash talk they get. Here is my co-host and friend, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist.
1: Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. I gotta be honest with you, I'm also a candy corn guy. This is maybe why we're friends. And happy (laughs) Halloween to everybody from a beautiful, sunny uh, Orlando, Florida day where I hear it's getting very cold, even in Texas these days. So welcome to Halloween season. And uh, maybe you had a spooky, scary trade deadline that we're going to break down or maybe there were trades that didn't go down. We're about to find out.
0: Let's go get it. Or maybe you're a Lions fan. What do the Lions do? That's right. More on that later. If you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us via our email. That's Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. One more time, Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. Or recommending our show to your friends. Not only is it Halloween, it's also trade deadline day in the NFL, and we are covering all the major angles. That's the lead story today. And before we get to the rest of the news, we're going to break down everything that happened from the Midwest perspective. Brian, where does the conversation start? So I think this trade
1: deadline, we're going to start not in the Midwest, but with our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where It appears they did some white flag trading where that vaunted defensive line they just traded not one but two defensive ends that they guess they just didn't want to pay because they're not winning games and they already paid uh, to the other guys. So uh, Chase Young, former Buckeye, was sent to San Francisco for a third rounder where he will be reunited with his college teammate, defensive end Nick Bosa, both second overall draft picks. Um, So that will be scary if we're playing the Niners.
0: Rich get richer there. This one upset me because I felt like the Lions' biggest need, realistically, was another pass rusher. And if they were going to the Niners for a third round, you know, I'll take that. I'll match that one for the Lions, throw in a garbage six rounder or something. I, that's, that's especially against mobile quarterbacks. We're getting pressures, but we're not getting to the quarterback very often, except against, like I say, against bad teams. So, yeah, to see Chase Young, the Eagles, la- you know, just load up last week. Uh, the Niners loading up this week, and the Lions, you know, are the Lions did add a guy. They got Donovan Peoples Jones. Yep. in the sixth. sixth. So let's have a parade.
1: Yeah. So, well, I guess we'll we'll cover that. It, it looks like with uh, Marvin Jones retirement, um, what we talked about last week, this is a replacement for that. DPJ is a he's a pretty solid field stretcher. He seems at this point in his career a solid role player, and that's the role he can fill. Um, the bigger concern is: does this mean that there's a lack of confidence in Jamison Williams, and he is kind of brought in to fill that role on the cheap and that's what it seems like because they, they're losing patience because they need jmo to ball out now their window is not they're six and two and a veteran like gpj seems like a more solid presence what's your take on that
0: my take on this is this is the lions officially giving up on Jamison williams he was a disaster again last night on monday night football I think they threw him four or five passes. He had a drop. They gave him a handoff. Like, two of his three plays that he got were complete disasters. The drops are everywhere. He sticks out like a sore thumb. It's getting to the point that, that, uh, yeah, that Goff doesn't even want to throw him the ball because they know that it's probably going to be an incompletion, and now we're behind the chains.
1: I mean, they say targets are earned. So if you actively want to avoid throwing the ball to you, it's kind of the same corollary, just the opposite direction. So I think that I personally think that was a nice savvy move that goes under the radar uh, that might matter more to a contender that people don't think about. Obviously, the Niners, who had a great defensive line last year, added Javon Hargrave in the offseason and now just added Chase Young at the deadline. That is scary. Like you said, Rich get richer. Now, the other trade involving a Washington defensive end kind of shocked me because there were rumors of chase going to Chicago all year, including Wikipedia getting his, uh, uh, someone in Wikipedia changed his profile picture to wearing a Bears jersey, and he ended up going to the Niners, and his teammate, Montez Sweat, was shipped to Chicago for a second round. Brian Poles loves trading those second rounders at the deadline. Uh, the uh, I would argue the worst move he ever made, in, uh, and he's made a lot of good ones, was the second rounder for Chase Claypool. Now, it's interesting because draft capital-wise and pedigree, Chase Young has a higher ceiling than Sweat, in my opinion. But Sweat has been a very good defensive end throughout his career, and... I think at, at, on a high level, this was a really good move because like your Lions, the Bears needed someone across from uh, Yannick and Dockway. I think that defensive end was the biggest glaring need, unless you consider quarterback, which the Bears have always needed a quarterback for the last hundred years. So I'm not even going to bother with that uh, sentiment. Um, so I think that fills a need. The question is, was this the right price? We're going to have to pay him now because he's up for a contract. And does this just fit franchise the- him or franchising, but does this fit the Bears' timeline? To me, this tells me that either the Bears are off in la-la land or Ryan Poles believes in the talent of this roster and thinks they're going to make a turn midway through the season, like your Lions, like the Steelers did last year where they kind of went on a late-season run. Uh, Because right now, that – pick is a top three in the second round that's very lot to give up considering chase young basically went for a bottom of the third round pick almost two rounds later and i think if you ask the average fan most would think chase young's a better player than montez sweat despite the fact that chase young's been injured in and out of the lineup most of his career and sweat's been very productive he just doesn't have the draft
0: pedigree yeah that's where i was going with it is Monte to me this jumped out at me as a what are you doing trade for Chicago not because of the player the i think that it's, it's an excellent player that does indeed fill a need that Chicago has not for the price i think a second round pick is legitimate for a player with Montez sweats ability what threw me is you know sort of a don't they realize they're third in, in the draft order right now, I mean.
1: It's one thing if we won three of the last four and beat the Chargers or something Sunday night. And you're like, okay, okay, we got a chance. You know, Kirk Cousins is out for the season. More on that later. You know, but like, they didn't. They're two and six. They're third in the draft order. Like, I, I don't know what they were doing, but he's still yeah. fairly young. He's hitting his prime, but go on.
0: Yeah, this, this is telling me, that the general manager coach or both is feeling heat because this is the kind of move that you make to put on immediate wins because you're afraid for your job.
1: Well, to me, this puts Eberflus right in the crosshairs because they have given him a complete rehaul on defense and the bears defense hasn't been good outside of like the Raiders who just can't move the ball. And he has all the talent in the world to, make a good defense. He needs to make the defense good. Screw what we talk about Justin Fields or T- Taysom Bajan. The defense needs to come through at this point, in my opinion. There's no, there's no excuses. They've they've upgraded literally tons of investment linebacker. Defensive back has tons of second round and higher cal, you know, um, pedigree guys throwing them in the last couple of years. The yeah. defensive end, they, they threw five defensive tackles and now and Dockway and Montez Sweat. That to me, it's a complete rehaul The talent has been upgraded. Eberflus needs to uh, step up the game. And in a related note, a trade that didn't happen was there's a lot of rumors Jalen Johnson was on the trading block. Um, I don't think he ever was, to be honest. I thought it was posturing by his uh, agent to get him paid. And I'll just weigh in on this as a Bears fan. And uh, I think if you're the Bears, this could backfire because I think what they want to do is – Jalen Johnson is worth the extension in big money. He's been one of the best Bears defensive players for the last four years. The question is, how good are the rookies? Because the Bears have three or four young defensive backs, like first and second year guys that play that position. And they've shown flashes. So I think the Bears are trying to drag out the extension as long as possible to get a better evaluation on the guys that might replace him. Now, when you bring in Montez Sweat, if the pass rush is good, Jalen Johnson is going to look a whole lot better down the stretch and it's going to backfire. And the bears are going to pay him more money. So, I mean, that's a good problem to have, let's be honest, but right. do you have any thoughts on that? Cause to me, that's what it seems like. The bears are trying to drag it out and um, the agents posturing with the trade demands.
0: Yeah, uh, probably. I mean, in, the one that uh, I was hearing rumors of that I was surprised Well, not really surprised, but that probably wasn't actually available, Mm -hmm. was Daniel Hunter for the Vikings. Oh,
1: Daniel Hunter. yeah, Daniel
0: Hunter. Another premier pass rusher that, you know, from all appearances, it looks like Minnesota's season's over without uh, Kirk Cousins. But they're acting like they want to rebuild. So
1: more on that, because that's what's interesting, because Minnesota, we'll get to the next trade, is in a tough spot. Um, there was a lot, you know, like you said, Daniil Hunter was on the trade block a lot, but I think their three-game winning streak without Justin Jefferson put them square in the middle of a bye week, uh, not bye week, um, wild card playoff race. Teams that are trying to win a wild card rarely ever tank. This isn't like basketball where a team on the bubble might decide it's better to get in the lottery and try to get the number one overall pick. Teams that are fighting for se- se- sixth or seventh don't try to tank from the. 20th spot to the 15th, you know, or 10th. But once they got to four and four, they got in a tough spot where now you got the defenses have been clicking. Hunter's been a big part of that. And then cousins goes down. This is the worst time. If cousins went down before the three game winning streak, this is an easy, let's, Shut this down, is an easy tear down. Yeah, shut down Jefferson for the rest of the season and let's and, and trade Daniel Hunter. But because they won the last three games through in the middle of the playoff race, so instead they kind of pivoted and they did a low risk move where they traded for Josh Dobbs for the Arizona for and plus a seventh for a measly price of a six. They basically took a middle to late, hopefully, for them, uh sixth rounder, and then traded to Josh for Josh Dobbs in a high seventh round pick. Not bad, in my opinion, especially for a guy who's literally come in to a new team in Arizona and Tennessee the last couple of years and took over the starting job within a week, and he's been very competent all year, as we've seen. Um, I thought it was weird the way Arizona handled it because they benched him, announced that they were going to go with Clayton Toon or Kyler Murray, and I and I texted one of my buddies and I said uh, Kevin and I said, why not just trade him to Minnesota? <laughs> well, apparently they did, but.
0: Apparently and, that's why they were going with the other guy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it was. So uh, I think that trade was already done because it feel it would be it would be weird to bench him and lower his trade value and then trade him. You know, right. so I think that was already in the mid. So do you think that he can help salvage their season? I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, but they're still in the playoff race. I well, think to
0: find salvage their season. Can I mean, they
1: make the playoffs as a seventh or sixth seed.
0: I mean, it's maybe possible. I really don't think so. I mean, it kind of, to me, shows that this is a team that still doesn't understand how good Kirk Cousins actually is.
1: And I think Cousins was having his best year, to be honest, so that was a shame. Um, we don't have any injury news, but he it is confirmed he tore his Achilles and is out for the season. And let's be honest, based on the stuff we saw in the offseason about the GM wanting a rookie court, contract quarterback— I think we might have seen Kirk Cousins' last snap as a Viking, which is a shame because he was really good this year, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, he was. I've got the stats actually. At the time he went down, first in the NFL in passing yards, second in the NFL in touchdowns, third in the NFL in quarterback rating.
1: Yeah, that's pretty above average. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, really good. Yeah, you'll replace I mean, that with elite.
0: Dobbs, I'm sure.
1: Who, for as good as he looked in Arizona, I think a lot of it is we expected him to be a dumpster fire, but he was just out of the bottom five of quarterbacks. Like, he's competent, but I, I don't think he's going to save Minnesota's season. But at form 4 I, I'm not going to break down the uh, playoff race, but there's an outside chance. But we'll get to them more later when we do the uh, breakdowns of the games and everything.
0: Exactly. We'll worry about that there.
1: Yeah. So shall we move on to uh, the next topic? Is there an update on the Michigan derangement syndrome?
0: Yes, it has been in a way hilarious and a way infuriating to listen to all of the Michigan people calling into local talk radio to try to defend, diminish, and otherwise excuse the Michigan cheating scandal. I'm not going to go into the weeds on this because we talked about it a very long time last week. And basically it boils down to this we've got you know all the way down to footage of stallions on the sideline for well, it was like a bowling green game against Mid- to scout michigan state he was on the bowling green sideline like right next to their coach so i mean absolutely nailed to the wall the larger question is who if anybody is going to actually do anything about it Knowing that the decision makers in college football are some of the biggest scumbags in the world,
1: they like That's
0: that's a legitimate question. Like, I do I think the Big Ten is quietly hoping for Penn State, Michigan, Penn State or Ohio State, or both, to beat Michigan and take them off the hook. Sure, but what if Michigan's the only undefeated team in the Big Ten? I don't think anything happens. Now the NCAA might vacate the wins later. But, you know, that may or may not matter to you if you're a Michigan fan.
1: Well, what I find interesting, too, is I've heard um, after we recorded this that last week that the NCAA is not expected to have a ruling until next year at the earliest. Possibly. Yeah, they're not doing anything this year. So no vacated wins, no bowl game suspension, I think on the flip side, the Big Ten has proactively been warning everybody in the big 10 that still has yet to play Michigan. Hey, look at what's been going on. Here's video evidence of what's going on. Change everything about what you do in preparation for playing them. So it's very interesting how much more proactive the big 10 has been granted. They haven't dished on any punishments, but they are trying to warn the other, you know, the, the Michigan future opponents.
0: I don't think there's frankly very much the big 10 can do. I think they. I'm not even sure that they really want to, because you know, you just look at the Big Ten Network. What has the Big Ten Network said about this scandal? Right, nothing. exactly, absolutely nothing. It's been a complete joke.
1: Well, I mean, if if Michigan is in the running for a national championship in a Final Four for a third straight year, do you want to ruin that? I mean, they think with their wallets first, so. I don't know. It's just, it's a, to me, it's just a sadder debate about the state of colleges and giant student debt. And the. like Luke and I were joking the other day about the fact that the colleges don't pay the players cause they're too broke to, uh, they have the boosters and local businesses sign the NILs, you know, <laughs> now right. granted that's to keep the ma- amateur status, but it's still hilarious that these multi-billion dollar corporations um, still claim amateur status. And it's, it's just, I don't know, it's annoying. Um, I'm hoping that at least whatever's going on normalizes out before the Mich- Michigan plays Penn State and Ohio State, and we can actually see them in a, quote, fair fight <laughs> instead of knowing what their the opponents are doing, you know, playing yeah, a poker hoping. game with video. So, yeah. So anything else on that update or?
0: No, we can, no, let's just instead take this moment to welcome Will Levis to the NFL. Four touchdowns, baby. Yeah, people were you know texting halfway through the game. You know, See you later, Tannehill. There goes He's, his job. I believe there's a stat that Will Levis
1: in one start with four touchdowns passes is twice as many touchdown passes that Tannehill has thrown all year. That's brutal. I didn't I realize mean, he, Tannehill been was hurt? that bad this year. I mean, he was hurt last year, but I don't think he had lingering effects. I think he Tannehill's quietly old. I think he's like in his mid to upper 30s. So I'm wondering if the years have not been kind to him because he's had a couple injuries and stuff. But.
0: Well, that could be.
1: Yeah, I'm not expecting but, that. But, you know, but. he
0: went you know four touchdowns, three to Hopkins. Well, when he Donald only caught four passes, player. which, you know, not, not the greatest day in PPR, but when 75% of your – catches go for touchdowns you're gonna have a nice day
1: i i might argue contrarian point three touchdowns is good in any scoring format <laughs> <Very true. laughs> but yeah i know jimmy about the ppr stuff so but yeah, yeah he was a... going
0: down the field he looked the ball was live coming out of his arm it was largely on point will levis looked really really good
1: and now the he's... question
0: is did he ambush somebody, or are we going to see more of this? Well, Will Levis is a guy
1: to follow because before the draft, a lot of people thought he could go in the top two, top three, and then he fell all over the second round. And we saw a guy similar uh, 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 the year before where there were a lot of people thought Sam Howell would be a first round pick and he fell all over the fifth rounder, and he's other, when he's not taking sacks, he looks pretty good in Washington. So maybe there's something to these guys who fall in the draft. They, you know, they're they they had the pedigree and they have the drive. You know, kind of like an Aaron Rodgers type. I don't want to put say these guys are Hall of Famers, but they're worth keeping an eye on. Um, Will Levis maybe there's Powell.
0: not as much separating the second and third and fourth round quarterbacks from the first rounders as we think.
1: Yep. And, hey, with Will Levis balling out, maybe Tennessee can take Malik Willis or Tannehill and trade him to the the New York football giants. Because um, despite those guys not looking good in Tennessee, they're light years ahead of what we saw in New York. You want to talk about this story?
0: <laughs> oh, that game was – I mean, we talk about games that set football back a couple decades. This is one of it. So on one hand, we all know what happened what the story is with the New York Jets quarterback situation. We've covered that ad nauseum here. The Giants were already down Daniel Jones, and then they're so they're playing Tyrod Taylor, who, let's, you know, face it, is not the greatest pocket passer in the history of mankind. And then he went down and they're putting guys on the field that i've never heard of i
1: believe it was his name was tommy devito which is ironic because which sounds like
0: he's a drummer in a rock band
1: yeah like or danny devito because danny devito had more passing yards than tommy devito and that is true (laughs) danny devito is a four foot tall actor who's 60 years old he had zero tommy devito had negative
0: (laughs) yeah that was i think minus one for devito officially minus nine Mm-hmm. For the Giants as a team, I think I saw.
1: That's what I saw, too. And what's funny to me about the Tommy DeVito is apparently, I haven't fact-checked this, but apparently that's the name of Joe Pesci's character, and I believe it's Goodfellas. And he's the guy that, you know, got taken into the uh office and, uh, you know, put out to pasture unknowingly. <laughs> the Giants fans probably wish they could do the same. Probably,
0: yeah, they're they going to try and whack DeVito here. Um mm-hmm. uh, Look, this was a game that both of the offenses were incredibly awful, which weather was a factor, but so was talent. There were 23 points scored in this game between the two teams. It was like a 13-10 game Correct. that the Jets won on a field goal late. 23 points, 24 punts. Set up by a
1: 50-yard Breeze Hall dump-off pass and run. <laughs> Catch and run, I should say
0: besides all of that, I do also want to take a moment in memoriam of Waller's bulky hamstring. I mean, he has had problems for years now and it's getting to the point where it's just as good as he is when he's healthy. It's just hard to trust him.
1: Agreed. It's a shame too, because he missed so much time the last couple of years with the Raiders and, He has not made the impact a lot of people thought he would this year in New York. And if his quarterbacks are thrown for negative yards, whether his hamstring is fine or not, it doesn't seem like it matters.
0: Yeah, he could have two fantastic hamstrings. And on this offense, he's not doing much. They've just fallen off the planet.
1: And to tie a bow off on this game, you mentioned 10 to 13. That's 23 points in this game for which was less than the punts. They had 24 punts. I don't know if that's a record, but that seems like a lot. And it seems like a really boring game to watch.
0: Yes, I've seen, yeah, I've seen Broadway dances with less kicking. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. the entire offense for both sides one, two, three, kick, one, two, three, kick, one, two, three, kick. Oh man,
1: well. Shall we uh get yeah, on? Let's get let's on, let's get on let's get um, to
0: the games that we actually want to cover here. Yeah, well I was gonna it, say
1: speaking of teams that one, two, three kick, uh I yeah. think our next game is gonna be the Steelers, tease. Go on.
0: Yep. Jo- join the conversation with Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email, a complaint. Tell us we're brilliant, tell us we're morons, tell us that Michigan has a fa- has a well deserved loophole, whatever floats your boat. But Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com is a way for you to get on the show. But on to the early games for week eight, Sunday, the one o'clock game, starting with a very uh, lively Jaguars at Steelers game. It was raining off and on throughout, and it was just an abomination of the officials to start with on top of all the other crazy things that were happening in this game.
1: Well, Kenny Pickett didn't look good, but he looked great compared to Drabisky when he came in the game.
0: Well, Kenny Pickett got hurt. More on that in a little bit. The star of the game for Pittsburgh offensively was definitely Deontay Johnson. If you just look at the stat sheet, he had 14 targets and dominated everything, but actually watching the game, he could have had a lot more. He left a lot of opportunities on the field. There were some iffy hands plays for him where the ball was there and he just couldn't come up with it.
1: It is interesting because the hands have been one of the issues. He's great route runner, always open, but he does seem to lead the league in drops. And I know a lot of smart guys in the NFL say that the best receivers always lead in drops, but it feels a little bit more than that. I think most Steelers fans are kind of sick of it.
0: Yeah he there was also a point where he went into the tent, limped off and was being helped back there, but he was apparently fine. He came back to the game and continued to play fairly well. Kenny Pickett was hurt on what absolutely should have been a roughing the passer call where he was planted by the Jacksonville pass rush into the field uh he didn't he wasn't landed on, but he was absolutely driven into the ground. So it should have been a pass. It should have been a fifteen yarder, mm-hmm. and which especially when you consider the standard that was set earlier in the game, where the softest of all roughing the passers was called on the Steelers for Lawrence just minutes before. Then you Back had, stars, I guess, yeah. Then you had, and this one blew my mind. Mm -hmm. They made like a 52 yard field goal, something like that. And then the referee threw the flag and called the offensive guard off for lining up off sides on a field goal, which is a call I have never heard in my life. And I both zip back in my uh, DVR. And later heard confirmation. There is no evidence of this call. This is a complete phantom call that wiped a field goal off the board.
1: Was all the yeah. money on Pittsburgh to win or something? Going back, I don't to know, Vegas, dude. Uh, I know. Skate
0: I know. Tomlin went livid. One? I know Deontay came right out after the game and said, "Yeah, the officials wanted Jacksonville to win. They got every little call." Wow. I mean, that was a quote from Deontay Johnson, which you know he's going to get hammered. So he's going to be poorer, just, yeah. mm-hmm. but was he wrong? Yeah, I don't think so. Not with those kinds of calls. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it made it worse because the 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 roughing the passer that should have been called on Jacksonville against Kenny Pickett was the play that not Pickett out of the game.
1: Yeah, that's pretty brutal when it's not even a penalty, when it's clearly a cheap
0: shot at least. It was very rough. Now, And the Steelers, remember, are on a short week. They're playing in the Thursday game, so it is... They haven't ruled Pickett out yet, but it is not probably too likely that he makes that turnaround.
1: Yeah, but they have ruled Minka Fitzpatrick out after he pulled a hamstring. They're not bringing him back on a short week, so...
0: Yeah, there's. Yeah, babies. I would say there's no way, and it, it'd probably be a couple weeks before we see Minka Fitzpatrick again, which is a problem, because he is a stud.
1: I mean, we still haven't even really seen Aaron Jones fully back from his week one. More on that later.
0: True. Um, though the flip side of that is they went out of their way to say Joey Porter Jr. has done enough to be a starter on this team, so he is now elevated at corner to the permanent starting lineup. And I think it's very well deserved. He's been playing lights out. He's been terrific.
1: Don't tell the Bears fans this because you know that's who they could have drafted at the 30 second <laughs> pick instead of trading for Claypool. But uh that yeah, is, so that is true. That's that who player. they
0: got with that pick. I forgot mm-hmm. about that.
1: Thirty second pick of the draft, aka fake first rounder. Um now DTN's still inefficient running game, but the, the the jaguars featured him. There's not really much Bigsby or Hasty. The people that in fantasy were worried about it, but he's also as efficient as he was running the ball. He's also still showed off his explosiveness with the 56 yard touchdown catch. Um, that, that is really true. Helped them win the game. And I mean, he's been he's been the number one fantasy running back for the last four weeks in any format you do. Um, I think he's number two overall at this point. So yeah. it goes to show you, volume is king, especially if you're getting passes and scoring touchdowns. Which, remember when we hit the off-season fantasy, people were th- fading ETN because they said, "Well, he'll just get 1,400 yards with three touchdowns and no catches." And my poster, my rant was, "What happens if he gets some catches and touchdowns?" And now we're seeing him, you know, lighting it up. And it, the scary part is he's so. He, despite being inefficient, his long on the ground was 13 yards. We've seen him break out a 50 yarder, including in the air today. He can still be scary despite the inefficiencies. Or maybe they're running him too much and he's wearing down and he's losing his explosiveness. But either way, Pittsburgh won or uh, lost and go on. There's a tough defense. Yeah, players.
0: I'm more inclined to think that the offensive line for Jacksonville is not quite as good as advertised. Also, they Pittsburgh are
1: defensive fronts really good.
0: Well, i think their average three and a half yards a rush etn did
1: yes yeah, he's 3. 3, but...
0: really good but he, no. make no mistake he is the centerpiece of that offense he is the reason that team is going
1: mm-hmm. on the
0: offensive side of the ball
1: yeah i mean he had 79 yards on the ground and 70 in the air so i mean that's 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 pretty that's like that's like good old Brian Westbrook stats back in the day. If you remember, yeah. I remember he was 60 yards in the air, six yards on the ground and a touchdown. So he'd get you 18 points every week in standard scoring. So,
0: yeah, that sounds like him, but talking about people that are still on their way back from bum legs. Um, we do have the Vikings and the Packers. I was mentioning Aaron Jones, but let's not kid ourselves. The real story here for the, is the Vikings and the Kirk cousins, Achilles tear. We've already talked about how fantastic Kirk Cousins was playing when he went down. The Vikings did turn around and win this game anyway, but how much are they going to miss him even with their new acquisition?
1: Well, this is a weird bittersweet because the Vikings won the game pretty handily 24 to 10. I don't even think it was that close. Cousins goes down, and after it's like, you win your third straight game. You get back to 500, save the season, beat your rivals, knock them down as 2-6, and six, and then you lose your quarterback for the year. And we talked about this with the Dobbs trade. It doesn't seem like they're giving up on this. They want to keep going. You know, as you said, Minnesota, a little bit in denial. Uh, they're going to go for it. They're starting Jared They've already announced Jaron Hall. I believe he's a rookie late round pick is going to be starting next week. And do you think Minnesota will bring back Justin Jefferson? Because it seemed like that was the big hope that he could turbocharge their offense with Kirk cousins playing as well as he was, but now cousins is gone.
0: I think if I was in Minnesota's shoes, I would give this a week or two or three to make sure that Jefferson is 100% healthy. See where they're at. And then either, you know, fire them up or shut them down, Mm -hmm. depending upon which way they're going here. Minnesota, you know, didn't really commit either way. They didn't go all in with a bunch of draft picks, but they also didn't turn around and sell off assets. They're kind of staying the course. So we'll see.
1: Even the Dobbs trade was basically they maybe moved back. 20 spots from the 6th round <laughs> to the top of the 7th. Yeah, so that, that's a, that that wasn't a big risk. Yeah, I
0: mean it's probably more than that when you remember the compensatory picks, but True. The, the at that late in the draft, that's it's you know, a, who cares?
1: They're dart throws anyway, so and you know Dobbs is a solid quarterback. Um, so it's a shame. Um, I don't, I'm kind of curious to see what happens with Jefferson because we are seeing Addison show flashes that he's living up to his first round pick and Hawkinson's looking more like a good complimentary ball mover who seems more reliable when he's being used as a check down than, you know, running the wrong routes and getting interceptions thrown and stuff. And, I mean, the running game was still bad. So w- I want to talk about that more later in the one more thing. But just, but like on the Green Bay side, I mean, this is getting dire. Jordan Love, like,
0: we can't just, sugarcoat it anymore. Jordan looks, Love sucks.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know what else to say. I mean, and the sad part is not only does he suck, but he also led their team in rushing with 34 yards because they're, they, to me, Aaron Jones looked the best he had coming off that hamstring other than week one, but he only got seven carries. It's not like it was that big, much of a blowout, you know?
0: There's a lot of data out there on hamstring injuries these days. The analytics say there is an extremely elevated risk of re-injury for hamstrings, but unless you've got the massive history of hamstrings, that risk goes down to normal after about six weeks. This week was seven weeks out from his hamstring. So what are we doing with Aaron Jones?
1: Well, I still think they shouldn't have brought him back for that Thursday night game. They should have just given him the extra week, two weeks off. You know, I I don't know what that was all about. And the other thing, too, is like tying these two stories together. As you said blatantly, Jordan Love sucks. And Aaron Jones should be healthy. Well, Aaron Jones, sorry, Jordan Love had 41 pass attempts. An additional four sacks, so at least forty-five dropbacks. Aaron Jones had seven carries. AJ Dillon had six. Now AJ Dillon didn't even average two yards a carry. But how do you throw the Speaking ball of sucks, forty-five times and rush the ball, designed rush with your running backs thirteen when your quarterback's just not good? Like you, you have to lean on the running game and give them a chance to succeed. It's just and
0: when you are at
1: worst down two scores. They were never out of the game enough to abandon the running game, in my opinion, and that might be on a little bit of the coaching too. I don't understand. I mean, it was a ten to three game at halftime, so you're not—you shouldn't have been abandoning the run that much, especially when your quarterback's not good. It's one thing. I'm not saying pile on the rock, but like we're kind of seeing this with the you know back to the Giants game. running backs don't matter, but despite negative passing yards, Saquon Barkley still put up 126 yards rushing. Um, Packers, you can't lean on Aaron Jones like that this year, you know?
0: I will say that at least the Packers know where they stand right now. They sent Razul Douglas to the Buffalo Bills, one of their corners. So at least they recognized what side of the trade deadline they're on. Well, that's
1: true. And the other thing, too, is like that's one of those things where they still got Jair Alexander and I know Eric Stokes was a first round pick. So they still got guys there. So I think that was a really good call on their part, whether the deal works out or not. it, it
0: For a third two rounder, and six,
1: two and six, go get a third rounder. You probably want to put Eric Stokes in more of a featured role anyway. So I think that made sense.
0: Yeah, I I liked the trade. Um, so um, they so had got. Gonna... I mean, they did have some big hits in the secondary. Darnell Savage and Eric Stokes on injured reserve. Oh, Stokes um,
1: on injured reserve, so they're not featuring him. Yeah, <laughs> the trade.
0: Um, My apologies. The the fans are going to hate it because the guy was absolutely, you know, like the heart of the defensive side. He was a leader and you hate to trade those guys away, but this, they need to get picks because they need to rebuild this team Mm -hmm. and it may, and, and this rebuild may involve trading up into the top of the first round for a quarterback, because I'm at this point, it's getting harder and harder to justify keeping love beyond this year.
1: Yeah. And, um, And just apologies, they're not 2-6, and they're 2-5. and I forgot they had a bye week, so. It's not as dire, but they're still a two-win team. Right. And one of those was against the Bears, so they're really a one-win team. But uh, shall we move on to the next game on the list?
0: Absolutely. Getting into the, uh, oh wait, no, we got one more here. Saints and the Colts. It started out looking like a really good game, and then the Saints pulled away pretty handily in the second half. Huge day for Kamara.
1: Another, you know, he similar to uh, the ETN. He had you know fifty yards on the ground, fifty yards in the air, and a touchdown on each. Um, another big game for Taysom Hill, who had two touchdowns on the ground and sixty yards. But he's also been getting pass attempts thrown his way: fourteen, one catch, and another completion for forty-four yards. So um, it seems to me like they're doing pretty well in New Orleans. I mean, even Derek Carr had three hundred yards. Um, the only guy that um, didn't do great was Chris Olave. But Chris Olave led the week in air yards, which is, for those who don't know, it is the amount of pass attempts thrown his way that, um, assuming they all got caught. <laughs> so apparently they cannot connect downfield, but they try. <laughs> and gotcha. on the flip side, um, it looks like uh, with the Colts, we're getting an even split between Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. Both look good, but Jonathan Taylor, man, twelve carries for ninety-five yards, averaging almost eight, eight yards per carry. Fantasy owners are got to be frustrated because just think if they had twenty carries at that rate. But instead, Zach Moss took eleven carries for sixty-six yards and the touchdown. So that is an interesting share. They're both been efficient. Um, I think the the. The line has been pretty good, in and Taylor though. is
0: is still a stud, but Moss has been good enough that the coach doesn't want him to just go away. So they're continuing to give him the ball, even though that's taking away from Taylor on a team that just isn't very good. But especially unlike, on the passing game side, so they're getting behind and going away from the run, which is making things worse.
1: But I think they're more defensible than like what's going on in Atlanta, where. They have a bottom-four offense, and they don't give the ball to their studs. When I see Zach Moss is averaging six yards a carry, he's at least justifying a 50-50 role. Maybe it should be 60-40, yeah. but he's at least been good.
0: I'm just know? glad that Atlanta finally pulled the plug on Ritter. I don't know that is going to be better, but I know it's hard to be worse than Ritter.
1: It's about time, in my opinion. I mean, I joked about making a best ball stack of Heineke and, like – um I don't even remember who the second <laughs> Atlanta receiver is. You know, for a playoff team, but a, that's and to like, a
0: bologna sandwich, whatever. Yeah, would be like, better than Ritter. Maybe
1: Johnu Smith or something. Someone you could draft in the 18th round. I wanted to say Brian Edwards, but I don't think he's there anymore. Um, but yeah, so Josh Downs is kind of taken over that wide receiver two role. He got another nine targets for seventy-seven yards, seventy-two yards. And uh, Michael Pittman got, you know, 13 targets. He's he's a PPR monster, but he only turned into 40 yards, but he did selfie with a touchdown. And uh, Minshew has continued to be Minshew. I mean, he put up decent points. He turned the ball over. He took a couple sacks. He moved the chains. Um,
0: he's a backup just, quarterback.
1: He's a backup quarterback. He's a competent backup quarterback. And it's kind of a shame at this point, you know, because like – You know, it says your your notes here does point out that he only put up 55 percent passing uh, completion, which not great, probably led to a lot of drives that didn't go well. And I didn't get a chance to watch this game, but I imagine it was kind of a herky jerky offense where some drives were really good and other drives just stalled out with. Yeah,
0: I mean, if Minshew had a legitimate title core around him, he would look better because any quarterback would. Still but the yeah. but even if he did, like most backup quarterbacks, even good backup quarterbacks, he's only going to win about 50% of the time with a legitimate top team around him. The Colts are not yet a legitimate top team around him. So it should come to no surprise as anyone that he is struggling when the team puts a lot on his plate. Mm-hmm. It's unfair to expect him not to based on his the position that he's in. Mm-hmm. You don't have a top flight backup quarterback to save your season if the quarterback goes down in week eight for the rest of the year. You have a backup quarterback on a legit title team because if your guy misses a month, you hope he goes two for two.
1: Yeah. Well, I think this will be a good transition over into the late games where I feel like what's going on in Indianapolis is a very similar to what's going on in Cleveland right now, where, you know, Minshew only completed 55% of his passes as a backup. Well, with Deshaun Watson out um, PJ Walker completed 48%, didn't even get to 500 in a very close game. It was a 20 to 24 loss on the road, which is a tough place to play in Seattle, which random aside, it feels like Cleveland doesn't play Seattle much. Luke and I were talking about that work today. It just seemed like an odd matchup to watch on screen. And I kind of wonder if it's one of those things where, like, I know AFC, NFC, they probably play once every four years, but I wonder if it's one of those things where they just never play in Seattle or something. It just seemed like an odd matchup. I don't know what your take is on that, but.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're going to play every fourth year or so, so it wouldn't be a whole awful lot. Also, they usually suck the Browns. Oh, so yeah. the game is never on TV. True. And, it,
1: and, and it's not like Seattle's like the Dallas Cowboys where they're on every four o'clock Eastern Sunday. Quote, yeah. The, Dal- the, the, you know, the
0: Dallas whatever. Cowboys slot.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, Seahawks are good though. They're, um, I believe they're ahead of the Niners more on that later, but yeah. PJ Walker struggling, you know, below 50%, a couple more interceptions, three more sacks, uh, he, he's he been better than I expected. I thought he was going to be an absolute dumpster fire. He's been fine, but he's not good, in my opinion. And it breaks my heart to watch this because the Browns have such a good roster everywhere else. And with that being said, Watson's still out. What's, what's going on? Have you heard anything on this? Because this is starting to turn out really. really weird. Was he misdiagnosed initially?
0: I don't know. It. I. You're starting to ask questions. Because we match? are now, per Mary Kay Cabot at Cleveland.com, mm-hmm. we're now six... This past game was six weeks from a supposed six-week injury. And we're still acting like there is no end in sight for this injury, so... Was he misdiagnosed is a legitimate question. Because remember, they initially thought, oh, he's fine. He's not going to miss any time. We're coming right in. And then all of a sudden, he's out and he comes in for five plays, stinks to high heaven, and they pull him again. And now it's going to be weeks again. Last I heard, they're hoping for a November 12th return. So we're talking about missing another two games here.
1: And let's not forget when he came in for those five games he got knocked out from he got put into, taken into concussion protocol and was cleared of it, but they benched him the rest of the game anyways, and then he didn't play this week
0: well that was one of the things I was thinking is is this like a low key benching where they're gonna try and see what they got with their other quarterbacks and see if they can move on I mean it's not like they can get out of his contract unless they're you know they got better lawyers than I can imagine Only
1: guaranteed. I mean, this is getting ugly. I mean, he doesn't play. When he plays, he's not good. If they had a quarterback, they would be a really elite playoff contender. They don't. um, And they gave up so much money, so much capital for this guy. And he he still has all the off-seasons, you know, off-the-field issues looming over his head. And this is just getting concerning, for lack of a better word. But, and another depressing note, we know um, Kareem, Huff, uh, Nick Chubb has been out. Now they brought back Kareem Hunt. So what's your take on the uh, running back situation that's going on in Cleveland?
0: Every week, Kareem Hunt is taking a little bit more of the work and Ford is taking a little bit less. We've got the point now where the carries, before you even start getting into the passing game, where Kareem Hunt get does a lot of his best work. Mm-hmm. The carries were are about fourteen to nine, so we're already getting to the point where it's three to two in favor of Kareem Hunt. Ford is now, I would say, clearly the backup.
1: Now I have a caveat on this though, because I, I think this is an interesting situation to talk about. Because you are right with all that, but Ford got injured last week, and I'm actually surprised to see he even played this week.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good point.
1: And the other thing that's interesting is this is turning into a three-headed committee because in between them, Pierre Strong had 10 carries, plus he had another catch for 41 yards. So now this Pierre Strong, late-round um, South Dakota State uh, product, who was cut by New England a couple of years ago, he's he's sticking his neck in there and turning into a three-way committee where it's 14, 10, and 9. And it, Hunt, mm. Ford and strong all had one catch total of four targets combined. So it's very interesting. Like as a fantasy owner, it's getting frustrating, but I do agree the trend. It is trending. Kareem hunts carries have been going up. The question is, is it because he's earning it or is because Ford is on a snap count? Now it's interesting to me that Ford even played if he was so close to not playing and still got seven carries average they all average about four yards per carry so none of them really stood yeah out.
0: i think this is one of those jobs where if they can get 10 carries out of him they're gonna do it first because they're the browns and mm-hmm. they never think beyond what this game uh which is a terrible thing to say but you know look at the players they've run into the ground or run off or traded and gave up on that turned out to be you know unfortunately, teams that have a track record of not great decisions usually continue to make not great decisions. So I think they're just looking at this and saying, we don't have a quarterback right now. If we can get another 10 carries out of this guy, then that's 10 less times we have to drop back.
1: On the flip side, though, when I see 14, 10, and 9 carries with a backup quarterback that's struggling... And then I hop over to the Green Bay stat line where we talked about earlier with 7-6. Right. Maybe Green Bay should be running the ball more and maybe getting a third running back involved if they are not if they don't trust uh, the hamstring for Aaron Jones and Edgie Dillon's not playing well. So it's an interesting situation. I'll be curious to monitor the, that further moving forward because Ford looked good early on, but you said like Hunt's carving out more role and it'll be interesting to see if it's injury related or if Hunt's just got the trust.
0: It's, I do want to emphasize though for the Browns, the defense looked fine here. This, they only gave up 24 points on the road to a well above average NFL offense that has a ton of weapons to try and lock down. This is not the defense here. Miles Garrett was fine. He had, I think, a strip sack somewhere in there. It's, uh,
1: this is a remember, good
0: defensive team that they just have to figure out the offense.
1: And let's remember this was a team that was winning. With less than a minute to go in the game, when Geno Smith connected with J.S.N. Jackson Smith and Jengba for the go-ahead touchdown with 44 seconds left in the game, to go ahead by four. So, it's not like Cleveland was out of it. I think their game plan was pretty good. They just did all they could with a backup quarterback on the road in a tough place to play in the Pacific Northwest.
0: And not even a particularly good backup quarterback, as well as they're getting as much as they're getting out of him.
1: Mm-hmm. And speaking of. Ohio teams on the road in the Pacific Northwest. We had a slightly different outcome when the Bengals traveled out west to the 49ers, where Joe Burrow coming off of the bye week, he looked fully healthy. I'm gonna say uh yeah. Cincinnati pretty much steadily handled the uh Super Bowl contender super uh San Francisco 49ers.
0: Yeah, this one blew me away because from a game plan perspective, they acted completely different than they did before the buy. Before the buy, Cincinnati was almost totally a shotgun team and it hurt their running game. It hurt they all of a sudden now they go to the 49ers and goodbye shotgun. Now they're in under center of a lot. So Burrow's dropping back. There's motion all over the place on offense again. Burrow's rolling out. He's running away from pressure. He's mobile. And it was like somebody for a while turbocharged this offense. Now, San Francisco eventually caught up and it ended up being a closer tight, you know, kind of game like you would expect, but it still feels like there's something wrong with the Niners defense here. That being said, this is the best that the Cincinnati Bengals have looked on both offense and defense all year. What a surprise. They're turning it around.
1: Just like we've been saying all year, they start slow. Burrow had an injury. They limped their way into 500 at the bye week. And now they're back to go back to mm-hmm. it. And I think what you're talking about with what, what the offense change, I think that sounds to me like when Burrow was limping around, they were putting in the shotgun so he had he was farther back from the line and he had more time to adjust to make his throws. And now that he can run more it's easier to take under snap and roll out whatever. So I think they're really leaning into his mobility now. And I think that is the big difference. And I think that matters.
0: I think it absolutely does. But the underrated part of being in the shotgun is your footwork is already perfect because you're set up that way. Mm. So you're eliminating two or three of those little quick steps to try and get your feet in position to fire downfield. As well as everything, as well as being away from the line and all the other advantages that you talked about, which was totally right. So, in but in attempting to try and make things as easy and as perfect for Burrow as they could to throw, they ended up making themselves one dimensional and hurting the offense overall because they weren't effectively running it.
1: Well, speaking of that too, this was one of the most efficient games by Mixon. He averaged five and a half yards per carry with a touchdown. Put up eighty yards plus. Hard to
0: run out of the shotgun if the shotgun's your only formation.
1: Exactly. So I think overall that made their team their their uh, offense harder to predict, and um, they might uh, their opponents might need to bring in the Harbaugh sc- Stallions um, coaching. Uh, so <laughs> well, that was team. and
0: that was another thing with the motion. It's hard to motion in shotgun all the time because all of it is is are you okay you're gonna send this wide receiver over here okay you're gonna bunch the receivers now Mm -hmm. or you know there's things you can do but not anywhere near the same extent as when you're operating with a tight end two backs or tight end and three backs and you can put the back in motion you can do all kinds of things
1: Mm -hmm. and another uh bi-week injury get well related note Um, T Higgins back. I mean, he put up a modest five catches for 69 yards, but he compliments uh, Jamar Chase, who went off. I mean, Jamar Chase, 10 catches, another 100 yards and a touchdown. Him and um, Burrow have that psychic link back now that Burrow has two legs and his uh, Batman or his Robin to his Batman has uh, his fully abdomen working, I guess, for lack of better words to say, describe T Higgins fully recovered yeah. from injury. So I think that that's a good sign. And um, do you think that it's the Bengals offense clicking or something wrong with the Niners defense?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, the honestly. Niners have
1: lost three games in a row now, including to Minnesota.
0: Right. Which is more than some people thought they were going to lose all year.
1: It's, it's one less of sort of what they lost last year. I believe they were 13 and four. So, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a little concerning. Um, do you think offensively the Niners are really missing Devo and what he brings?
0: Yeah, I mean, they the Niners front office has given a number of interviews in the past where they talk about they were specifically drafting and finding guys that were versatile on offense. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they want to do. They want to create matchup nightmares by putting a bunch of versatile guys on the field and then motioning them all over the place. And that so that you have absolutely no idea what kind of play it's going to be from the personnel in the huddle.
1: Yeah. They call it positionless offense. We see it more and more in the NBA. Right. And I agree when you have Kittle who can run and block, you have Ayuk who can, you know, do all that stuff. Uh, Debo and McCaffrey, you could swap out their positions. You could line one at running back and one at receiver. You don't even know and, and flip them from play to play. Um, I mean the good news is for fantasy, I mean it turned into a Kittle Ayuk McCaffrey show. I mean, their their only other guy that even did anything was Ray Ray McLeod with two catches. Elijah Mitchell didn't do much. Like it's it's they're becoming kind of predictable, which is weird to think when they have three versatile guys, but they kind of want all four of them.
0: Yeah, and so when you take one out like Debo, it really limits what you can do offensively because you're used to moving guys all over the place. And now that's a whole big chunkier playbook that you just, you can't do. Mm-hmm. But I real quick, by the way, speaking of versatile offensive guys, we do want to give the props to Christian McCaffrey, 17 straight games with a touchdown, which ties the all time records uh, set by Colts Hall of Famer Lenny Moore. their running back. And that was nice. back in the sixties and, 63 64.
1: Similar note today. This is a third guy we talked about who had at least 50 yards rushing, 50 yards passing, and a touchdown or two. He had one in the air, one in the ground. Um, so uh, fantasy god continues to be <laughs> McCaffrey.
0: And if you, yeah, throw he's in, been unreal.
1: And if you throw in games where he has 100 yards or a touchdown, it's even longer than 16 streak. It's oh, yeah, that would be ludicrous. How, like, he is the most reliable fantasy running back. When healthy, because, you know, we know he's missed some games the last few years. Um Shall we move on? And we have one last Midwest team that traveled all the way to the West Coast. The Bears traveled to L.A. for the Sunday night football game. And I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick. Um, I was kind of joking about this on the one more thing. Um, And I was throwing Brandon Staley under the bus. So props to him for making the actual adjustments. But... Crownsworth even did a good job pointing out as the announcer that the Chargers basically packed the center of the field. They lined up their defensive backs with inside out, forcing everything deeper to the sidelines. And there were a couple of good plays downfield, like the one where uh, Villas Jones fell in the end zone. Didn't matter because the Bears scored in that drive anyways. But for the most part, they took away the checkdowns and the short stuff. And the Bears offense did not look nearly as good as it did the previous week against the Raiders. And that was my big concern going into the game was as excited as Bears fans were to see Taysom Bajin check down his way to a victory with 160 yards passing last week. It didn't seem sustainable. He threw a couple interceptions. And for the most part, it was just throwing the ball and check downs to comet and they took away everything else. DJ Moore only had four catches. Mooney had one big play early on, and that was about it. Um, I don't know. The running game was fine. The defense wasn't impressive. It was that it was it was.
0: Yeah, this one got pretty ugly pretty quickly. Um, the, The Chargers, as we've been saying, are a great roster with a lousy coach, but they still ended up being able to just pretty easily take away what the bears wanted to do with their n- new backup slash starter slash who knows quarterback.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that in, in base Bajan has already been named the starter next week. So obviously fields at this point, we kind of regret that they didn't IR him for far, four weeks. Cause he's going to miss at least three games, but the bears need fields to be able to bring the threat of a downfield pass and the run, because you saw defenses catch up to him. And I think the true loser in this game wasn't the Bears; it was the Chargers fans. Sorry, shout out Nick, um, because as you, as Joe said just a second ago, the Chargers have a great roster and are poorly coached. The Chargers are going to continue limping on with Brandon Staley the rest of the season with his uninspired coaching. And the best thing that could have happened to Chargers was a changing of the guard, in my opinion. And we're not going to see that now that they're back to three and five. They're going to talk themselves into competing and riding out the rest of the year. And they'll probably be on their way to a six or seven win season. And I just feel bad for their fans because they deserve better.
0: Yeah, I, I second that emotion. And speaking of coaches that are kind of a bozo, onto the Raiders who were taking on the Lions in Monday Night Football in Ford Field where Troy Aikman was getting comfortable in Detroit and started to talk about possibly the road to the Super Bowl running through Ford Field. That's something. Look, this was a game that was sloppy at first. Of course, being the Lions fan, I watched this one pretty carefully. But the Lions had complete control. They were still sloppy, though. Like I said, they were fumbling the ball. They were making mental errors here and there. And they just they kept the Raiders in it. So
1: talking to a friend of the podcast, Tony, fellow Lions fan, and his wife was like, why are you so mad? The Lions are winning. And he's just his frustration was we should be winning by more. Like it was one of those, as you would call it, a defensive blowout where it never felt like the Raiders were in it. But. For a 26 to 14 victory by the Lions, it felt like it should have been 40 to 14, but the Lions just couldn't finish drives. Well,
0: 40 and... to 7. Four, seven of it was a pick six from Goff that I'm still trying to figure out if he was trying to throw the ball away or it was just the stupidest decision in the history of stupid decisions. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that was kind of rough and and disconcerting because they settled for a lot of Riley Patterson field goals despite their defense setting him up with short field time and time again.
0: Four out of five.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, the good news is Gibbs looked good. I th- would you call this a breakout game for him? Because I feel like he I absolutely
0: up... would. He looked like a stud, dude. he he, was, he looked like the best yards. thing going on with this offense.
1: Yeah, 150 yards on the ground and a touchdown and another 37 in the air. This is what you hope for when they drafted him in the first round. And I think, you know, poor David Montgomery fantasy owners, their window to sell him might have gone because I think Gibbs is legit. And I think with his capital, draft capital and his production, I think he's here to stay, knock on
0: wood. I think that might be a little bit premature. Uh, this is a team that, And a management that really, especially the coaching staff, falls in love with particular players, and they're going to keep using them. Case in point, Alex Anzalone.
1: Hey, Anzalone had some good plays this game. I think he had a couple picks. I'm not double checking, but I heard his name flash a couple times on Monday night. Um, other good news was, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown who he had his lone mini Jordan flu game where he had six catches on nine targets for a hundred yards, hundred and eight yards. A little bit better than whatever Mahomes flu game was because he was awful. We don't cover that. We don't to talk about that, other than my poor co host who had negative one fantasy points on Mahomes but still pulled off the victory. Congratulations. In our yeah. league. And yeah,
0: um, in our yeah, in football, the only thing you want negative is a medical scan.
1: Yes. And uh, Sam Laporta continued to be the best, best complimentary receiver, catching eight of his 10 targets for 57 yards and a touchdown. But he broke a lot of hearts by dropping a touchdown at the end of the game that resulted in Riley Patterson's missed field goal attempt. Um, That's another one that could have been even bigger. Not that um one guy in one of my leagues was complaining about losing by 0. 0.1 because of that drop. I might have lost one of my leagues because of it. I still think I would have lost anyways. So I'm not going to complain. I just like to see Laporta you know getting eight catches a game he's he is becoming one of the NFL's elite tight ends as a rookie halfway through his rookie season I think Laporta is probably a top five tight end right now not fantasy, Laporta just is top ten.
0: already having the best rookie tight end season like if he broke his Since leg in practice go. if he broke his leg in practice tomorrow mm-hmm. God forbid yeah then Sam Laporta has already had the best rookie season by a Lions tight end in the history of the franchise. And this franchise goes back to the thirties.
1: Yes. So, I mean, props to that. And I think, um, we, we covered Jameson Williams because with the, uh, Donovan people's Jones trade, I think we don't beat that one down anymore. Um, what do you think is really helping because I feel like the the run defense has been pretty good. Josh Jacobs has held to 60 yards. And in general, the Lions defense has been pretty solid this year. Very underrated unit.
0: When he yeah, the defensive tackles, they don't get a whole lot of push on the pass rushing end, but they are good run stoppers. Mm-hmm. So you've got that kind of clogging up the middle. You've got Aiden Hutchinson's super athletic. He can stop the run as well as the, the pass, and but the secret sauce I think is Brian Branch, because they play him as a third safety or slot corner or, basically, they creep or they creep him down into the box and he ends up just he is he's hitting and reading plays like a linebacker while having the coverage skills of at least a a third corner or a safety so if he is effectively allowing the lions to play nickel as their base set Mm -hmm. because he's the nickel and you're not he's so good in the run defense that you're not losing anything that way it's kind of what you and it also creates the opportunity to misdirect with your defense a lot more like we were talking in the beginning of the year when minnesota Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh were experimenting with three safety sets. Well, the Lions basically have that with Brian Branch, and they're using it.
1: Yep, they're doing a great job with it. And I just want to point out to tie ball in this. Brian Branch, Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, three rookies this year. And I think Jack Campbell, the fourth of the top four two-round draft picks to start, They took four rookies in the first two rounds, and they're all playing really well. This might underratedly be one of the best NFL drafts I've seen in recent history with just Campbell
0: had four tackles last game alone. Some
1: for a loss too. So I think, uh, well,
0: I mean, everything was for a loss. I think the, I saw a stat that the pressure rate uh, against the Raiders was almost 75%. I mean, it was unbelievable. That is insanely good. Like that's, that's almost impossible.
1: Yes. I'll agree. That's, that's elite. (laughs)
0: That's, (laughs) you know, six sacks, two by Anzalone. So I take some of that back.
1: Yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I thought I heard his name a couple of times and it it is unsustainably elite. And that's how good it is. Now, do you have any last thoughts on this or do you want to move on to um, next week? That was
0: a trade deadline move that should have happened is Josh McDaniels for a half eaten bologna sandwich.
1: Can they just give send Devonte Adams somewhere that matters?
0: Free Devontae, dude. It's
1: so disappointing. Like I cheered sent so long cheering against him in Green Bay, and it'd be nice to just watch him run out of his Twilight on a contender. You know, send him to the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody wins, or somebody. You know, I don't know.
0: So, Get him yeah. out of Siberia anyway, but. Speaking of sending things somewhere, send us your messages at Midwest at midwestfootballpodcast.gmail.com. We'd love to get you involved in the show. We're running low on time here, so we're going to do our Week 9 picks and one more thing. Starting off with the Thursday night game, we already talked that the Steelers have a short week coming up. They are going to be hosting the Titans. What are you going to look for here?
1: Oh. I want to look away from the offense because I don't want to watch Trubisky anymore. So, the one more thing I'm going to look for is to see how miserable can they, can the defensive front turn Will Levis into a pumpkin?
0: That is a great one, uh, especially with the secondary, with the injuries that the Steelers mm-hmm. had. Look, I'm, my initial thought was the running game against the Titans run defense, but we know that. Both of the Steelers running backs are good, not great. They're handcuffs for each other. Mm -hmm. So what it basically comes down to, boy, I hope that this team gets healthy, is I want to see a third passing game target step up, if one will. Because we know that Deontay Johnson is going to get the volume. And we know that Pickens is going to get the big plays. Who's going to move the chains here? Who's going to step up to try and give them a third option? That's what I want to see. Mm. But I do think the Steelers are going to come back and win this game. I think, at the very least, I think the NFL kind of owes them one.
1: Yeah. And they, they had a tough loss against the Jags. Uh, I'm going to pick them to beat the, uh, to recover and beat the Titans. Um, and I think they have a good defensive front that's going to, uh, you know, like I said, well, I'll, you know what? I already said my one more thing. And I'm just, I don't need to recover it, <laughs> rehash it.
0: Exactly. But
1: I'll pick the Steelers
0: onto the Sunday game, starting with the bears at the saints.
1: Mm. Mm. Saints have an underrated defensive front. Um, But I want to see if the bears defense with their new defensive pass rusher can slow down Derek Carr. Who's quietly had three straight 300 yard passing games. Can the Bears defense actually step up and Everflues turn these uh, parts into a working, you know, working model? We got all the Ikea parts, but it should be better.
0: And I've got a specific test for that that I'm looking for. There's a gentleman by the name of Taysom Hill that they're using all over the field again and is looking red hot. He had two touchdowns last week. And I want to see if... If the Bears really do have as complete of a defense as we hope that they do, let's see how they work against him. If Taysom Hill's going off, you know, that may not be a good sign here. But I am going to pick the Saints. It's just, you know, it's hard to pick against the Bears with what they've got going on right now.
1: And I agree with all the investment they put into the linebacking core. They should have the athleticism and talent at that position to match up with Taysom Hill. That being said, I'm also taking the Saints.
0: (laughs) Yep. The Cleveland Browns fly home this week and they've got what should be, you hope would be a get well game against the Arizona Cardinals.
1: I want to see how miserable the Browns can make the Cardinals quarterback I don't know if it's going to be Kyler Murray on one leg rush back, or if it's going to be late round rookie Clayton tune, but the Browns defensive front should be able to dominate and win this game regardless of how their offense plays.
0: I I don't think much of Donovan people's Jones, but I am curious to see who, if anybody is going to be the downfield threat in this offense. The nice one. At least, I think Pippen's Jones only actually had like ninety some odd number passing or receiving yards so far this year. But yeah. at least the threat was there.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree with that.
0: You're you you take that away, unless they've got somebody that we don't know about. You're just compressing the box. Uh, that being said, I still think the Browns just have too much talent for the Cardinals. So I'm picking the Browns here.
1: I'm picking the Browns too.
0: All right, here's two teams with quarterback problems let's go with the rams at the packers next
1: my one more thing is can the packers even out the play call because i we talked about this earlier today i think they should be leaning more on aaron jones and less on jordan love and i want to see that happen because i think they have the talent to win games I don't know why they're putting so much of their their hopes and dreams into the one of the arguably worst-performing players on their team over the first half of the season.
0: I hear that. Uh, I, I would be slam-dunk picking the Rams if Matt Stafford hadn't gotten hurt last week. So we will see what's going on there. But my actual one more thing, because it sounds like you're looking square at the coach with that play-calling stuff, is... The defense. We've got a Rams team with, you know, possibly a backup or injured quarterback. We know their starting running back is still on IR. It's basically down to Cooper Cup and the young receivers, Puka mainly. So, can they stop them? I would hope so. If the Packers don't win this one, I don't know how many games they're going to win. So, I am going to pick the Packers here. I guess I'm a sucker. I'll keep trying.
1: So essentially, I want to see how the Packers offensive coaching staff responds to Jordan Love. You want to see how the, defense quarter, uh, Pat, uh, the defensive staff responds to whatever's going on with the quarterback on the other side of the field. Whether it be Stetson Bennett or an injured Matt Stafford. I think that's a good one. Um, I'm, I am going to take the Rams. I think the Rams have been frisky. I agree with you. It would be a slam dunk if Stafford was healthy, but I still think what I've seen out of the Rams has been better than what I've seen out the Packers, at least at the quarterback position.
0: Yeah. I got to go with you there. Yeah. Last one of the early games, we've got the Vikings who are still trying to win meaningful games at the Falcons who have, I guess both of them have turned the page on their quarterback for different reasons.
1: So I don't, so I think the obvious one is I want to see what's going on at quarterback. We have Jaron Hall versus Taylor Heineke. Although the Falcons claim they didn't bench um, Ritter and it was whatever, but I want to see how Jaron Hall does. I'll take the easy road out. And I just want to see if he has, if he's good enough to hold off Josh Dobbs, because we've seen Dobbs take over the starting role with very short weeks in the past, twice in the past. Um, So I think, hall has very limited chances to show he can be a starter in the nfl
0: it's not a this week thing but over the course of the next couple weeks we're going to see how much if any of a drop-off there is and that'll give us a clue of just how much this team is going to miss kirk cousins Mm -hmm. but i'm looking at the defensive side of the ball here the falcons really do want to run the ball here So the Vikings have had trouble stopping the run all year. Though They've had a really good pass rush. So I think that the matchup in an ideal world actually kind of favors the Falcons, but it's basically going to come down to who the better quarterback is. I'm picking the Vikings just because when you're hot, you're hot.
1: I'm picking a Taylor Heineke-led
0: Falcons. If not, I'm taking the Vikings. If it's back to Ritter. (laughs) I'm starting, I'm picking, like a ta- I'm picking a Taylor Heineke led is how you start a sentence when you're about to start questioning your life choices. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> how did uh, I get to this point? Where am I? Oh is this God. the oh, airport? Fuckings. How much? Are we, how much do I have on this game? How much do I want to lose on this game? Anyway, on to the and uh, we got one afternoon. Oh, that's game. That's good. it is the Colts and the Panthers. And the Colts, uh, both of the Panthers are coming off their first win of the year. Colts are still trying to figure out what's going on.
1: I want to see if Jonathan Taylor can continue to take more of the uh, run share, because I know Moss did well, but Taylor looked like Jonathan Taylor. He can do things that Moss can't do.
0: Yeah, I want to see. For me, this is a play calling thing also. I want to see this team lean on the running game more, and I'm starting to look at the coach if they don't, just because they've got a backup quarterback unless they're effectively going for picks. And the Panthers won last week, but they're still not very good. Hmm. I'm taking the Colts in this game. I'm taking the Colts. Under the belief that they're going to figure out a recipe that's going to maximize their success.
1: I don't even need to qualify. I'm taking the Colts.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. The late game, Sunday, Bills at Bengals, Sunday night. This could be the
1: game of the year so far. I mean, we got another uh, Josh Allen versus Joe Burrow shootout type. uh, Hope we, you know, I want to see if uh, Joe Burrow can do it two weeks in a row because he looked legit against the Niners defense. And if he could do that against the Niners defense, he could do better against the Bills and win a shootout of like 48 to. 40 something, you know? So um I want to see uh burrow and how he does.
0: The bills just added a corner. i maybe even for this game in that trade deadline, we talked about with the, with the Packers. So gosh, I, to me, these teams are so very evenly matched in different ways. I'm not going to go all the way down the list though, but to me, I'm looking at the pass rush. I think whichever team has the better, pass rush and can bother the opposing quarterback the best is going to win the game and i firmly believe burrow will respond better to pressure in the pocket so i'm picking the bengals
1: okay i'm also picking the bengals
0: we got the lions on a bye they get to celebrate after their monday night win that's all the time we've got for the midwest football podcast this week Thank you to Chris Brandley for all of our logos for to Raymond for our wonderful intro and outro music from his album call to me. And most importantly, thank you to every single one of our listeners. It's always a pleasure to be able to spend some time talking football with all of our friends out in listener land. And yes, you are all our friends, but until next week, it is time to take this into the locker room for the fifth quarter and we will see you later.
1: Have a spooky Halloween, and I miss you already!